turn back with me your Bibles to the book of Matthew and chapter 5. And um, as we continue our series in the Sermon on the Mount, we'll finish uh, a mini-series today um, on that we've been, yeah, I've been preaching through on the Beatitudes, looking at the, the last Beatitude. Let me read, read the, verse, the words then of, of verses 10 through to 12, um, and then I will just say a short word of prayer. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let us pray. Our living God, we, we thank you because we know that you are among us, you are, you are with us, um, and that you are with us, Lord, to, to lead us to you through Jesus. And we, we pray that you do just that. We are not depending on, on any man, but Lord, on, the, on your word and how it points us to, to Christ. So please bless this time, Lord. Um, we're, we're praying for that deep work. What a great thing we are asking you for, certainly something that we can't um, achieve, that we can't do. Uh, we're praying that you might work with us, in us by your spirit, um, opening up our hearts, as it were, exposing us to your light, saving us from ourselves. I'm praying that you would help me as I teach your word, Lord, help me to uh, explain the scriptures clearly, help me to proclaim Jesus and proclaim his way, uh, keep, keep us from anything that would distract from the message of Jesus. We pray in his precious name. Amen. This morning we come to the last in the, uh, the Beatitudes then. And a few weeks back when I preached on uh, like the introductory sermon to the Beatitudes, I, I suggested that it wasn't as straightforward to try and um, explain the, the logic behind the sequencing of the Beatitudes. So it's not something you could be dogmatic about. It's uh, about why is, you know, this the last Beatitude and, and why is, say, for example, poverty in spirit the, the first. Um, now, to be sure, there's been different attempts to do that. People attempt to explain the, the, the structure. Some, some attempts are better than others. Um, you know, some folks, some, some suggest that uh, eight Beatitudes in the first four deal with sort of our, our, our relationship to God and the Christians, uh, the, the emphatic aspect of the Christians' relationship to God, and the other four deal with relationship towards other people, fellow human beings. Again, it's hard, as, as I say, it's hard to be dogmatic. I'm, I'm not sure about that. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, I've mentioned him a number of times, preaching through the Sermon on the Mount, for example, um, suggests another, um, and, and, and uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones' one is, is, yeah, is, is certainly to be reckoned with. He, he suggests that maybe um, the first three Beatitudes are concerned with our needs, so he's looking at the entirety of the Beatitudes. He says the first three Beatitudes, um, the poverty in spirit, mourning for sin, um, the, the meekness that comes from the person who knows that they are nothing without God, and so it shows in their 
there's a needy, there's a, almost a needy way in which they live towards others. He, he, he says that's, that's uh, maybe like the uh, one, one, one part of the Beatitudes, focusing on, on our need. And then there's a, the, that need, he says, is satisfied by the fourth, fourth Beatitude which says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So he, he takes the picture of a mountain. He says, imagine you're on one side of the mountain. The first three Beatitudes are like being on, 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 a, on the side of the mountain and climbing over. And the, the, the peak point of the mountain is, is the fourth Beatitude. And then once we reach the, the, the peak point of the fourth Beatitude, next three Beatitudes are kind of coming down on how that need is satisfied. So we're needy. The fourth beatitude says God will satisfy our needs. And then the last three tells us what happens now that that need has been satisfied. Um, we become merciful people. We show mercy. We are now, um, we have pure, uh, purity of heart. We have pure hearts. We, we become peacemakers. Um, uh, and, and, and after that, he says, once we've seen the outcome of our, once our needs have been satisfied, um, the outcome is that Christian, that full Christian, that satisfied Christian has to experience persecution um, in the world. He suffers persecution in this world. Now, um, yeah, I just think, again, Martin Jones's explanation is very interesting at the, at the very least. Uh, but as I say, you can't necessarily be, be certain. Maybe if you were thinking, though, about, about a structure, at least to attempt to... The closest you, you would get to make, making a feasible suggestion about why the Beatitudes are structured the way they are would be to recognize any sort of patterns that are just prevalent in Scripture. So um, th there are ways in which very often in different passages right throughout the Bible, and you think of, about the Bible as a book written in, in, a, in a Jewish mold, in Jewish culture, we can look at patterns in that are, are, are usually associated with, with, with Jewish authorship and, and then suggest, can we apply them to a text before us to suggest that there's a structure? So the same thing, you could do that to the Beatitudes. And one thing you could say about a lot of, of, of how, of styles that Jewish authors use and biblical authors use, one thing you could often say is there is an importance in a list of things, when a list of things are written, there's often an importance to what's placed at the last and what's placed at the beginning. So, so even if it's hard to always uh, explain how everything in a list like the Beatitudes relates, you can usually say in the sense in which um, teaching would have been done in the time of Christ, in the sense in which the ways things were written in the time of Christ, there's usually something about what's placed, for example, in a last position. So that um, in, a, in a list such as the Beatitudes, maybe there is something to be said as why is persecution placed at the last? Another thing you, you, you can see, in, again, throughout the Bible is in a list like that, in the first and the last thing, there's usually then very often authors will frame it, an author or a teacher will frame it with a similar idea. And in so doing, will be suggesting to you that that idea is at the very heart of what he's talking about. So that if we look at the first beatitude, for example, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The last beatitude says, you're blessed when folks, blessed are the persecuted, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so you possibly have 
this um, typical uh, Hebrew way of teaching, which would, will frame a series of things by two ideas so that you know what a central idea of this whole thing is. And so that, that would be saying to us that Christ wants us to have, when we read the Beatitudes, he wants us to know that the Beatitudes are emphatically about his kingdom. So he frames them with the first Beatitude, the kingdom of heaven is a blessing. The second beatitude, the kingdom, sorry, the last beatitude, the kingdom of heaven is your blessing. So that the beatitudes are about the kingdom of heaven. And so when all is said and done, the beatitudes are meant to present for us a manifestation of God's kingdom on this side of eternity. The beatitudes are, are primarily focused on saying, this is what Jesus Christ's kingdom looks like. And then Jesus Christ tells us, that, and, and, and it's, it's the countercultural nature of Christ's teaching, that um, even though this is the kingdom of heaven, so Jesus Christ would say, when Christ was, was on this earth, he would say, listen, the kingdom of heaven is near. In fact, in his ministry, the kingdom of heaven has arrived. And if you trust me, you're in my glorious kingdom. And when you think of a kingdom, you think of a glorious kingdom. And in fact, Jesus Christ says his kingdom is a glorious kingdom. And in fact, Jesus Christ says his kingdom is the kingdom that will overcome. And in fact, Jesus Christ says my kingdom is the kingdom you want to belong to. You know, so nations of the earth might argue about which countries, you know, countries are better. Very often, if countries are close together, you know, they, 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 they forge rivalries, they begin to say which country is better than which country. Nigerian kingdoms often say which, you know, well, Ghanaian people don't really be arguing about that, but they say, you know, they say which kingdom is better, Nigeria or Ghana type thing, right? Uh, the US or the UK, and they have these kind of rivals. Well, Jesus Christ said, it ultimately doesn't matter what kingdom, every single kingdom is inferior to my kingdom. Christians have to believe that. But then he says, and one of the things that will characterize that kingdom though, don't be fooled, is persecution. It's a persecuted kingdom. There's a, there's a bit of a paradox here. No one thinks of a kingdom that's going to be persecuted as the most glorious of all kingdoms. But Jesus Christ says, this kingdom, although I tell you it's glorious, although I tell you that it's a kingdom, it's worth pursuing this kingdom's citizenship above everything. Right? You know, I, I remember in, living in, in Nigeria and living in Africa and seeing how folks would pursue citizenship for another country with everything. Christ says, no, no, no. This is a kingdom worth pursuing. Sell everything to pursue citizenship of this kingdom. But then he gives his people some clarity, some reality. And yet, even though it's so glorious, it's going to be despised by some, it will be disliked by some, it will be denounced by some, and still, this is the kingdom of heaven. You see, our Lord says, I've made all these glorious promises to you in the Beatitudes. I've told you that if you belong to this kingdom, you're blessed. You're blessed, you're like, you, you know, you're, you're, to, you're to be envied. People should be saying, in one sense, congratulations to you every single day. I've told you that above all people, you're the one that really has reason to, to rejoice. And yet, you need to realize that the path to that joy is paved with, with suffering. You see how Jesus Christ can make all these glorious promises to his people, that he will remove our poverty. In his kingdom, he removes all our sorrow. In his kingdom, he gives us the earth. He can make all these glorious promises and still not be preaching a prosperity gospel. And still tell us, but this is a persecuted kingdom. Uh, and in an age where very often Christian preaching is, 
is patterned after people pleasing. We really want people to accept us. It may be that Christians are not saying too often that one of the things that if you join Christianity, one of the things you must be prepared for is persecution. And yes, yet it has been said that the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. That is, the church has blossomed from its people being persecuted. That was a historical statement that was made by Tertullian as he just looked at the, the, the experience of Christians over the then Roman Empire and how they were being, they were being slain and thrust the lions for their faith. But here in Matthew chapter 5, we have an even more sure word of prophecy. Jesus Christ tells us, my kingdom is a persecuted kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. So, so whilst the Christian kingdom coexists with the kingdoms of this world, it'd be persecuted. So we, we, we have to know that. We have to prepare for that. We, he tells us that so our faith doesn't shrink. It, it, he tells us that so our faith is not shaking. We know what to expect. To be part of the kingdom of Christ is to ready yourself, prepare yourself to face persecution. Now to elaborate upon that point and the fact that Jesus Christ actually says it's a blessed thing though. It's something to rejoice in, to be thankful for. To elaborate on that, let me ask a, a few questions. I'm going to ask three questions of the text and they're, they're, they're questions that are clearly directing you to what our Lord's focus are in, is in, in these three verses. Interestingly enough, right, these, this, is the, these are the, this is the longest beatitude you have. It's stated like the other beatitudes in verse 10, just like the other ones that are stated. Initially, it's stated that way in verse 10, and then there's an expansion of it in verses 11 and 12. So I read verses 11 and 12 as kind of commenting and elaborating and developing the beatitude as it is first stated in verse 10. So first question we might ask the text is, um, what does Jesus Christ say that believers can expect to experience? What is the persecution, right? How does Jesus Christ explain what Christians will go through because they belong to his kingdom? In a sense, because you possess the characteristics of the, because you're the beatitude man or the beatitude woman, because that's who you are, you, you, you face these, uh, uh, these, this persecution. And so what is, what is the persecution? Well, in particular, Jesus Christ says, one, it's, he says you're going to be persecuted for righteousness sake. And then he elaborates and says, people will insult you. They'll revile you, verse 11. And they will utter all kinds of evil things against you falsely on my account. So that, that's as much as Jesus Christ says um, about what he means by saying, blessed are those who are persecuted. So there's, a, there's, a, there's actually a wide range here of things. I think actually when Jesus Christ says, blessed are those who are persecuted, even in a, in a New Testament sense, perhaps the prevalent thing that comes to mind is the way in which Christians have had to even shed blood for the faith. They've lost their lives for the faith. So it can range from, as I said, the blood of believers spilled in the Roman Empire uh, with their bodies being fed to lions because they wouldn't sacrifice to the false Roman gods or to believers who have been burned at the stake, say, for example, during the English Reformation because uh, they chose to believe and obey God above the, um, the, the, the religious authorities at the time, that, that kind of 
of systemic, if you want, that kind of uh, global form of persecution that Christians have been known to face. It can range for us thinking about Christians in an Islamic nation who might face persecution because they want to confess Christ or, or because they want to recant their Islamic faith and now believe Jesus and they have to face all kinds of persecution that can range from, say, uh, torture and beatings to actually death. It, it, but it can come closer to home to the Christian who's worried that they're going to lose a, a, a job or a business because uh, their, 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 their faith is, and, and, and the things they believe about Jesus Christ are coming into uh, conflict with um, the world around them. It, it comes home to those things that might be comparatively insignificant to some of us. When you compare it to Christians who have to lose their lives for the faith, um, the Lord includes insults. Just the fact that become, being a Christian means that some people will mock me. They'll, they'll say I believe a primitive faith, or they'll say Christians are bigoted, or, or um, they, they'll ostracize me. They'll say I'm not having fun. Whatever, just insults, people who look down on me. Even simple, uh, simple things like that. That means that Christians sometimes are ashamed to say we're Christians. We're afraid to speak about our faith because we get the sense that it's going to cause tension. So some of you know that already. Some of you, your workmates do not know you're Christians. Not because, you, you, in your mind, it's not because you're ashamed of the gospel, but because you just feel, you can feel the tension that will ensue. You can feel the awkwardness that will come when I say, I'm a Christian. Some of you would dare not tell someone what you think about, you, you know what that's been like to discuss a, an ethical issue and say, uh, and, and not, not discuss it, to discuss all around it and not say what you feel, what you think, because you know it's going to cause drama in the office, even though you don't mean any offense by it. You're just saying what you believe to be the truth. It comes down to even that kind of persecution, where implicitly Christians are silenced because their viewpoints are going to be seen as bigoted. He includes all of that, right? So we must not think of persecution as just when there is some kind of statewide persecution. Just when there is, someone's going to kill you, or you're going to lose your life, or you're going to lose your possessions. Of course, that is, if you want to, you can call it the height of persecution, but Christ is not excluding that here. And I say that to say this, that if that's the case, if Jesus includes being insulted for my sake, that we have to be very careful that we are also ready to stand up and be counted for Christ, even in the smaller things even in the smaller areas. And you know what I think some of us do is, we, we say to ourselves, this is just a small area, so it doesn't matter if, I'm, if I compromise a little. It doesn't matter when my silence is not just a matter of wisdom, but cowardice. It doesn't, Christ doesn't care, that's not true. He says, blessed are you when you stand up for me. He blessed are you when you face persecution, even in those areas. Jesus Christ cares about our witness, even in the so-called small forms of persecution. And, and this is why, if you're not ready to stand up for Christ when it's small persecution, you will not be ready when it's big ones. If you're hiding your Christianity because you think someone is going to tell a joke about how Christians are prudish, why do you think you're going to be so bold when the government is threatening to kick you out of your job for, the, for Christ or you're going to lose your home? Why do you think all of a sudden the bonus is going to come? And, and the words of Christ here, blessed are the persecuted, the reality that the Christian life is a life of conflict. 
The reality that the Jesus who says we should be peacemakers said, I am, but I know that my faith brings a sword, tells us that Jesus doesn't want us to be in love with ease or being comfortable. He wants us to be on our toes, to always be ready. In the moment, I'm going to say, it's not that we should be persecution chasing. It will come. We're not going to, pursue, we're not going to chase after it, but Jesus Christ wants us to be ready. Some of us, we bend over backwards to be accepted by the world. We do anything to avoid any sort of confrontation with the world. Now, I know it's an area that often Christians can be careless with, and it requires wisdom. And I agree that sometimes the reason why you didn't say anything was actually a wise thing for you to do. There was no, I totally agree. I just feel like I'm more inclined to be a coward I just feel that I'm more inclined to be drunk on the comfort of this world. Christ is warning us to change our mentality. Stop thinking about your faith as a faith that can just be accepted by everybody. Just think about, stop thinking about your faith as a position you can take and not ever cause some kind of conflict or controversy. That's not true. All kinds of persecutions. So that's what Christ would say that believers can expect to experience. Second, second thing to ask is, why do Christians suffer persecution? And this is important, right? Why does Jesus Christ say Christians suffer persecution? Just to read the words directly from the text, he says they suffer it, verse, verse 10, for righteousness' sake. He says again in verse 11, they, they, they suffer it because they identify with me. When, 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 they, when they insult you, for my sake, on my account, you see, I'll say this and we'll elaborate upon that later. You see that for Jesus Christ, righteousness is synonymous with him, with Jesus. So Christians will be persecuted for righteousness sake. So it's not that Christians have to have a, a martyr, a, a, a persecution complex. Because sometimes Christians can have that. Any small thing, any little thing, Christians are up and arms, they're persecuting us, they hate us. Right? Uh, so this is not the fact that Christians should just be going around looking for persecution. And that's never been the way Christians... I know people, people say that sometimes. Like if someone hears me preaching a sermon on persecution, they're going to think, oh, there comes that persecution complex again. But Christians have always been clear, always been clear, that actually we don't persecute, pursue uh, persecution. So, for example, over 1,500 years ago, St. Augustine of Hippo could say, I think that the addition, that is, so he's talking about why does Jesus Christ say, why does Jesus Christ say persecution for righteousness sake? Why is Jesus Christ specific persecution for my sake? He says, I think that the addition is made for the sake of those who wish to glory in persecutions and in the baseness of their reputation and to say that Christ belongs to them for this reason that many, many bad things are said about them. Augustine says, listen, the reason why Jesus Christ makes it clear is because he doesn't want anyone to come and say, as soon as he suffer persecution, oh, it's because I'm, I'm a Christian. That's what happened. No, he says, no, no, Christ makes sure that people know it's about, it's about suffering for righteousness. But even before that, years before that, and hundreds of years before that, and with more authority, the Apostle Peter says in 1 Peter, 4, in, in 1 Peter 3 and 13, he, and in First Peter, the book of First Peter in, in, in its entirety, Peter is dealing with the idea of suffering. And Peter can say, First Peter 3 verse 13, who is there that will harm you if you are eager to do good? So, so, so this is Peter addressing a church who's asking him, how do we face 
the, the reality that because we're Christians, we face persecution. He says, first of all, realize that because you're Christians, your lives will abound with doing so much good things that actually no one's going to trouble you. There's, there's a side to that. The Christian is such a peaceful person. He's meant to be such a peaceful person. She's meant to be. That actually, they can live in, in relative peace and harmony. They're not, they're not meant to be the aggressive ones. They're not meant to be the, 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 the greedy ones, right? They're meant to be the ones who are humble and so on and so forth. So if you're zealous to do good things, most people are going to like the fact that you do good things. They'll be okay with that. So Christians don't have a persecution complex. They don't go out seeking for persecution. Right? He, blessed, it's not blessed are those who are persecuted because they are objectionable people. Right? right? So, so some of us will face persecution because in the name of Christ, we demonstrate our, our, our terrible attitudes. Sadly, even Christians can still have all kinds of attitude problems. We're not, we're not perfect. So, so Christians can still be argumentative. Christians can still uh, be selfish. We, we can still fail to reason. When you're persecuted because you're not a nice person, don't, don't, don't mix those things up. That's not what the Bible is saying. If, 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 if mom and dad are upset with you because you never clean your room, never clean the room that you live in, in their house, you always rush off to church. You don't ask for nobody. You come in, you go out when you want, and you show no consideration. Don't say, oh, they, it's because I'm a Christian. No, it's because it's you're being a bad child, and some of you are grown, in that and you're being a bad child. Right? Just, just accept that. It's not what Christ is talking about. He's not saying, blessed. Peter says, certainly not when you actually do bad things. Right? So 1 Peter 4, verse 15. None of you should suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a meddler, one translation says, a busybody in other people's things. That's not why you should be getting, per- that's not persecuted, that's not what Christ is talking about. If people treat you badly, and I'm not saying you should treat, of course as Christians, we don't even think that just because someone does bad, you should treat them bad. But if treat, people treat you badly, or you suffer because you've done bad things, that's not what Christ is talking about. You don't have this, this blessing, this beatitude. Or, 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 or lastly, if we suffer because we misinterpret, we misrepresent the faith of Jesus Christ, and sometimes the world can see it better than us, right? If we suffer because of, we're fanatics, that's not what Christ is speaking about, about. If we're persecuted because we, unbelievers look at the church and they see, they, they see a host of ministers, pastors, who can afford private jets, pastors who can, um, who can afford multiple holiday homes, pastors who are on the back of being a pastor who are driving all the most uh, luxury cars you can imagine, and they see the sheep being sheep because you can't see through that, you can't see that that's fraudulent, and the world say that, and they mock us for that, that's not, that's, we don't get a blessing for that. That's our misrepresentation of the faith of Christ. So in one sense, you almost deserve your mockery. And in the myriad of things where Christians sometimes misrepresent the faith and the world can sometimes see and call us out, we don't apply this beatitude to that. Recently, for example, when there was announced that there was a pandemic in the world and everyone shut up shop and you weren't allowed to come out and you had to wear masks, if Christians decided to be so negligent decided to be a threat that some, said, some, some, some church somewhere says, no, we're going to gather, don't care about social distancing, don't care about masks, we just want to praise God. They deserve to be shut down. 
And I would also, I will, I will even do the police for them, right? That's not persecution. That's not what we're speaking about. No, no, no. The, the, the persecution that Jesus Christ has in mind here is persecution for righteousness' sake. Persecution because we stand up for what is right. But remember, what is right is what is Christ's. Christ's sake. So, so not just any righteous cause, by the way, but the righteous cause of Christ. So there are people who are persecuted for righteous causes. Christians are not the only people who are persecuted. We're not saying that. But there's no, no blessing promised for that. There's people in this world who have suffered for, for racism, for feminism. They've uh, suffered for the poor. They've suffered, for, uh, suffered because they've resisted um, dictatorial governments. That's, they, those are well and good, but Jesus is not promising a blessing for that. Right? You can do that and still not be in the kingdom. This is not just blessing for a righteous cause. It's blessing for the right... Sorry, it's not persecution for a righteous cause. It's persecution for the righteous cause of Christ. It's persecution that happens because your life is connected to his. It's persecution that we suffer because we proclaim Jesus as Lord. When I spoke about the sufferings that the Romans, the Christians in the Roman Empire suffered... I remember watching a documentary on, on the Roman Empire, a history documentary, and the historian was like, Christians go around saying they were persecuted. They weren't persecuted. He said, let me explain what happened. The Roman government, it was part of Roman law at the time that you bow to certain Roman gods. You know, you offer sacrifices. You, you at least participate at some level in that. And, and, and the Roman Empire was fairly, they were fairly tolerant in his mind. All they asked was, Offer some sacrifices to Roman gods, but you can, you can still do your thing. Just acknowledge Zeus or acknowledge whatever Roman gods they were at the time. And, and the historian said, so don't let Christians tell you that they were being persecuted. He totally misunderstood. <laughs> Christians could not do that because one, one thing we proclaim is Jesus is Lord above all. When we suffer because we proclaim Christ as master, when we say, listen, he is the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way to God apart from him. When we proclaim that the gospel of Jesus is true, and when we say, actually, the, 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 the event that shapes the course of history is the death and resurrection of Jesus and nothing else. When we proclaim that Jesus saves and we're persecuted for that. When we say, actually, there's a day of judgment, and so men and women everywhere must repent, and so sadly we are going to speak about this gospel because God commands folks to repent, and we are persecuted for that. When we're persecuted because as Christians, we tell someone the principle from which my life functions is that I don't even have a life. It all belongs to Christ. It's not me that lives anymore. I yield everything to Jesus. I yield everything to the control and direction of Jesus, and I believe in what he says. And what Jesus Christ says is right is what is right. And when Jesus says yes, I will say no to anyone that disagrees with him, whether it's in the area of science, spirituality, sexuality, whether it's in the area of money or music or marriage. If Jesus speaks, I believe him. When we're persecuted for that, Christ says, realize it's because you're blessed. 
So, so, so Christians will suffer persecution because they identify with Jesus Christ. It's persecution for that. Look at what Jesus is saying. If you identify with me, if you, tr- if you truly believe me, you will suffer persecution. If you joined in with your heart or maybe with your lips when we sung this morning, um, oh, glory be to Christ. Oh, glory be to Jesus. If you truly joined in, you will suffer persecution from the world. So what does that tell us about the world? It tells us, friends, that the world has a deep-seated enmity against God. The God of this world is, is Satan, and he has blinded the world against any seeing anything about the beauty of God's holiness. The, the world hates God's holiness, just like we did, apart from until God's grace visited us. No wonder the Bible says friendship with the world is enmity against God. The God of this world is Satan. And even though sometimes the world may like you, Christian, be sure it never likes your Christ. It may say nice things to you, but whether it knows it or not, it hates your Jesus. It hates, it hates him for who he is. If you see Jesus loved in any part of the world, by the world, I'm thinking about the world as a system. Uh, if, if, you, if you see Jesus loved by the world, it's because someone has given them a fake Jesus. They've, allowed, they've been allowed to create their own Jesus. But if we, create, if we pr- pronounce, if we proclaim the Jesus who is Lord of all, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, the world hates him. And that is the reason for persecution. It's not even about you. It's not really about you. If, if, you, if you renounce Jesus today, if you, if you stop being a Jesus person, the world would embrace you. It's, your, it's Jesus that they, the world is opposed to. It's blinded. It's for Christ's sake. That's why the world persecutes us, because we identify with Jesus. You know, friends, there is... Men begin to persecute Christians when they, they, they know that we are different. So that's the thing. Jesus, Jesus exposes the world. Jesus, he, he convicts the world. They see their sin when they see Jesus. They see that the one thing that the world, if you're in the world, the one thing you're concerned to do is numb the relationship between yourself and God because when you see your sinfulness, you realize that you deserve condemnation. And because God is righteous, you hate him. You hate him for right and rightly saying that you're condemned. But it makes sense. You know, if, if someone rubs, rubs a, a bank and he has to stand before the judge, he doesn't all of a sudden like the judge. He's going to hate the judge. He's going to send him, send him down, send him to prison and so on. But that's because the ju- he hates righteousness all of a sudden. He hates the condemnation he deserves. People hate God because he, they know that when they see God, they see that they're deserving of condemnation and Oh, only by God's grace do you see that dynamic and learn to respond in poverty of spirit. Is there any mercy for me? Usually, the deep-seated enmity kicks in and men and women are seeking further ways to usurp the authority of God. And that's why they hate Jesus. This Jesus who says loud and clear that you're in debt to God. You owe God. God is righteous. 
God is pure. And so, uh, men, uh, people, the world hates us, not because the world persecutes Christians, not, not just because we are different, but because we are different for Christ's sake. You see, there's a big difference there. Honestly, I think the world would accept Christians if we were different for any other reason. The world would accept Christians. It's not like people don't accept those who are different. People are different all the time. It's just that you're different for Christ's sake. They wouldn't mock your refusal to engage in, say, drunkenness. I don't drink. I'm not going to be drunk. I'm not going to do that with you. They they would probably respect it. They would see it as you making sensible life choices that they wish they could make. If not that you attached it to your service to Jesus Christ. I'm a Christian. That's why I don't drink. They would respect your decision to to live with in, 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 in sexual purity and to recognize that actually an intimate act like sex belongs only to the confines and the context of sacred vows and say, I don't know, I don't have, I don't do, I don't know, I don't live promiscuously. It's, it's just, if not that you then said, it, but it's a sin against God, is the main thing. It's not just I'm trying to avoid diseases or a child out of wedlock. It's, it's a sin against God and my heart is dedicated to Christ. They would have respected it, but the moment you say it's for Jesus, they would respect the fact that you don't swear. Why do you watch every, your words and you don't swear? If, if you just said, that's, a, that's, just, that's just not me, man. I just don't speak that way. They'd respect it. But when you say it's because of Jesus, the, the innate antagonism kicks in because there's an exposure now to God. Friends, the sad thing is that today, Christians will qualify and qualify and qualify the reason for why they live till it just becomes a lie. Why do you not get drunk? Why don't you get drunk? Well, when I was young, I saw... Why, don't, why, why do you choose not to have sex before marriage? Well, you know, like, people do what they want to do, but I'm the kind... Are you ashamed of Jesus? Is he not the one who has the primary reason? Doesn't he have the priority in your affection for why you do what you do? Isn't it Jesus? Isn't that it? Imagine if you asked a, a father why he worked hard to provide for his home. And in everything he said, he never said his children. You'd think he was so strange. That's the first question. In fact, it sounds stupid to you. Why does a father work to provide for his, well, his children? But if he says, oh, well, you know, in this world, what is provision? In this world, must a man not work? And if, you'd be like, bro, is something, are you okay? What, what, what kind of, why is your heart so distracted? Do we have distracted hearts? Are we ashamed of Jesus? That's why that, that hymn we sung is always so convicting. It's, it's, it's stated in the, in the form of a rhetorical question, the first line. Jesus, and can it ever be that me, a mortal man, should be ashamed of you? How can I be ashamed of you? I'm just glad you're not ashamed of me. You're the king of glory who angels praise. You don't need me. You don't need anything. You're the maker of the heaven and earth, the word that was with the Father at the beginning. In you and through you, all things live and move. They have their be- Imagine me being ashamed of you. Are we ashamed of Jesus? 
Isn't it worrying that we're so slow to talk about him when people say, why are you the way that you are? One last thing, friends. What does this tell us if we are then being accepted by the world? If it's true that there is this innate enmity between the world and Jesus because he exposes God, because he's the way to God, a man who hates God, what does it tell us if the world embraces us with open arms, if we're comfortable, if we never know anything of persecution? What does it say about us? Isn't, there, isn't that a kind of friendship with the world that reflects an enmity with God? If the world totally embraces us, though it, though it can't wait to reject Jesus, doesn't that show that it's because we are not like Christ? If Christ is in us, if Christ is shining through us, well, one of the things that will happen is we'll be persecuted. I remember a, while, a number of years ago, I'm sure, I can't remember exactly when, but there's a, a gospel song that came out, and the, the gospel artists, shout out to them, they, they, the song was it's called, it's the God in me. And it's in the God in me, and they would say, I'm looking so fresh, and I'm looking so this, and looking so clean. The world was looking at them like, no, you're looking corny. But anyhow, the, the thing was, there was a desire to suggest that what Jesus does for us is he makes us the coolest. He makes us the most popular. He makes us the most praised. Jesus says, no, 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 I make you persecuted. It's not what he does for us. Yes, Christ is in us, but it, it doesn't all of a sudden become endearing to the world. The world doesn't all of a sudden have this deep affection for it. No, it, it resists it. And Christ warns us. It's not that I'm not beautiful. I am beautiful. But the ugliness of sin has taken its toll over these folks. And so expect the resistance. Why are Christians persecuted? Why do we suffer persecution? I'm saying it's for righteousness' sake, but ultimately it's for Christ's sake. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus, and it's because of how the world cannot rejoice in him. But let me go to the last question. Is, is what should be our response in the face of suffering this persecution? not because we've done anything wrong, not because we've violated anything, just because we, we serve Jesus and love him and we're proclaiming his good news, yet we're facing persecution. What should be the response? Well, again, the words of Christ, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven, is what Jesus says. He, he says again uh, in verse 12, he says, the, the, it's the same way they, pro- they, they, they persecuted the prophets which were before you. If you're a reader of the New Testament, if you read the Bible regularly enough, you realize that this command to rejoice, it's because it's a command, is prevalent in the scriptures it's, it, it, over and over again. You know, very often when Christian, people think of Christians, it's such a misunderstanding, they think of sad people. They think all we do is weep. They think we're so sad to be saved. No, no, no. Jesus Christ says, the scriptures tell us Christians have deep joy, a deep, deep, deep joy. Um, the, the, the real Christian is someone who has a, always has a reason for thanksgiving, no matter what's going on around them. And Christ reminds you, it's no different when the world is persecuting you. Rather than weep, rather than self-pity, rather than feeling ashamed or disgraced, rather than thinking, this, uh, maybe I should give this up, he says, rejoice and be glad. Imagine that. This is real stuff. I really believe Christ is saying there's reason for us to deep it, to think through it, and if we suffer persecution, to respond by, like, shouting hallelujah. Respond by dancing. 
by having a big smile, by this is the, one of the best weeks I've had. There's a, he really means rejoice and be glad. If only you will pause and think, right? It's an act of faith, though. But, 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 but faith is not the enemy of feeling. Let's be clear. That's what Christ is showing us here. Way too often when we think of faith, we think devoid of feeling. But this is faith rejoicing. And Christians have done this, brothers and sisters. They've done this right through the ages. Christians have been known to be singing hymns while they're burning at the stake. History records. Remember Stephen, stoned, being stoned, and looking up, seeing his Savior, and saying, Lord, don't, 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 don't lay this to their charge. Don't. He had a joy. Interesting, Stephen was constantly defined as a man who was full of the Spirit. So if we, if, we, if we respond by the faith that the Spirit gives, we can actually rejoice when we realize, oh, these people have separated themselves from me because they, 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 they know I follow Jesus. We can rejoice it. We can rejoice about it. Uh, but, but, but remember, the reason we are to rejoice, that's, that's how we're to respond, but the reason we're to respond that way in rejoicing and being glad is not because we have some, there's some intrinsic good in being persecuted. So persecution is actually painful. Uh, but, but we rejoice because we see God's sovereign plan in all of this. We see how Christ has been magnified through this. If you're to, to, to borrow the words of, just, to, just to, to follow the implications of Christ's words, well, explicitly he says our reward is in heaven. Right? Re- rejoice because you have, a, you have a great reward in heaven. Nothing that you face in this world can hold you down. We have two significant difficulties there. First of all, Jesus is showing us, by telling us to focus on our reward in heaven, that very often persecution means losing something on this earth. That's what Christ is telling us, right? And, and that's what Christians, sometimes we, 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 we find it hard to face. If Christ says, actually, rejoice because you have your reward in heaven, what he's saying is, it's okay for you to lose things here. Following me might mean that you don't attain to certain things. I, I often think about Christians in the music industry and so on, for example, and how following Jesus might mean for them that it's just certain things they can't attain to. It's very possible. Or in the, in, in the arts and so on. But maybe in many areas... You can see it creeping into the to, to, to say medicine, for example, and how following Jesus might just mean there's things that this surgeon might not be able to do. There's things he can't attain to, she can't attain to. And Jesus says, in one sense, look at that thing properly and say, who cares? Great is my reward in heaven. You see, our second issue is that we don't have a strong love for the eternity. We, we don't actually feel our hearts being satisfied by the promise that God gives us of eternity. All we think of is the here and now. But Christ says, actually, we can rejoice if we remember that as Christians, he, he has a great reward for us in heaven. All, anything we, we lose, uh, God, God is going to give us double for. God is, God is going to satisfy us. He'll wipe away every tear. Remember your reward in heaven. Again, he says, rejoice because you're identified with the righteous. I say that because Jesus Christ says, so they persecuted the prophets before you. Rejoice and be glad. This is a sign that you're on the side of truth. This is a sign that you're on God's side. Rejoice. It's a sign that you're in the way of truth and be, be encouraged by the example of the righteous. Other Christians are suffering like you do. Rejoice. 
I belong to God's people. It's by God's grace I'm even here. And I thank God for that. Me, for me to be identified with Jesus, what a privilege for God's grace to be at work in my heart so that I'm, I'm stand, oh friends, to stand for the truth. When you, when you know the nature of deception, to stand for the truth is a miracle. To stand for the truth when the whole world is going one way and you're literally seeing what you will lose by holding to the opposite opinion. Many of us are not just brave like that. Many of us don't want trouble. I just want to live a peaceful life. We we don't just want conflict. But to stand for truth, it can only be that this truth is tied to deep affection. Affection for the one who is pure and holy, Jesus. It's something to be glad about. Thank God that I have this mindset, this worldview, that can choose eternal things of substance over temporal things that will fail. It's only grace. And ultimately, identifying with him, rejoice. You're blessed if you're, if, you're rejo- if you're persecuted for his sake. It's for his sake. Uh, and the New Testament fleshes this out over and over again. That the reason why we rejoice when we're persecuted is because actually we, we, are, we are identified with Jesus. It means I'm in him. Why is the world persecuting me? It's because I'm confessing him. So they're persecuting me because of him. What a privilege. I'm with my savior. I'm totally devoted to my master. I'm his, he is mine. I'm, 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 I'm doing his will. I'm seeing his glory spread. Rejoice because this is your idea. And there's no more important source of identity in this world. I tell you that than to be identified with Christ. Nothing matters like that. For someone to know that I belong to Jesus. His forever, only his. And we've all gone through various kinds of identity crises. I've I identified my way, myself in many ways, my, my gender, my, my ethnicity, my, 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 my local, uh, na- the neighborhood I grew up in, my church, and so on and so forth. Nothing matters like the identity I have with Jesus. I, I've seen all those forms of identity go into crisis. Never seen the one of me knowing him being identified with him. What a privilege. Rejoice. Your persecution is a sign that the the world sees Christ in you. Not that you're looking so fresh and looking so cool. It's it's the fact that they persecute you. They see Christ in you. There's Christ in you. And that's what happens. That's what flows from that. Say say one more thing. Why are we to rejoice? We we rejoice and be glad for all those reasons. Our reward is great in heaven. We identify with the righteous. We identify with Christ. But another thing to say is implicitly we rejoice Sorry, implicitly, our response to persecution is not just rejoicing, but implicitly is also to be courage. Rejoice and be glad, Christ says, in the face of persecution. Don't be afraid. Don't become cowardly. Friends, it may be that our generation faces that persecution, that Christians, that we've often heard about. It it just might be. I'm not a prophet, neither am I some historian, so I don't want to try and pretend like I know. But I I, I can see good reason why Christians could say, we we could be the ones that face it. You see see that persecution that actually makes you lose wealth, lose community? We could be the ones to face that. I I, I see no reason why. Some of you here might still live another 60, 70 years, perhaps. We could be the ones to face that. And uh, Christ warns us how to face persecution with courage, with boldness, with grace, not with retaliation. Rejoice and be glad. You don't even have time to be angry and to retaliate. You're too busy rejoicing. 
But face it, not with fear. You know what fear does? Fear makes us doubt who Christ is. Fear makes us hand authority to the one who's persecuting us, forgetting that it was Jesus that placed me here. And before you know it, you're cowardly, you're tempted to deny your Savior. So let me close by just saying these, these two things. First of all, friends, this is our Savior telling us about persecution and reminding us that in one sense, our response to persecution is a touchstone for whether we are truly pursuing the life of faith that has been described in the, in the Beatitudes. The Beatitude person is a person who you can see, yes, they're peacemakers, they're poor, but they're, they're, they're meek, but ultimately you can also see how, you, you see that they've pursued the Beatitudes and how they respond to persecution. And, and of course, it's not a persecution they bring on themselves. So just a second ago, he was a peacemaker, but now he still has to face persecution. And Jesus Christ tells us that. He reminds us that one of the marks that you've really pursued the Beatitudes will be that you respond to persecution with joy. So so let me put it like this. If you think about the possibility that the way things are going at your workplace, you might have to confess Christ and because things are getting difficult and Actually, that might put you in some trouble. Again, I'm not saying for you to be unwise. Don't come, come to me now and say, I got sacked because I just want to, look, please, just be very careful. That's not what I'm saying. But if that, if that happens, if crisis brings you to persecution, how are you responding? Full of fear? How many of us have been full of joy? When we see, you know, as Christians always see, oh, look at the way the world is going. They're denying Christ, da, da, da. And this might be, how have we responded? Just purely full of fear? Purely complaining? Or has there been the element of rejoicing and joy? Being able to be confident in the Lord. Are we prepared to face persecution? Can I just say this? Persecution makes some people fall away from Jesus. It does happen. People actually turn their back on Christ because they can't go this way of suffering no more. They they, they They can't imagine themselves losing this much. It does happen. And we, we, we don't want to be there. So, so hear, hear the words of your Savior asking you to be prepared for persecution, to have the right perspective of life now, to be the Beatitudes person so that when persecutions come, by God's grace, you're standing firm. But in closing, let me say this then, that persecution and suffering, if you want. I, I, read, I, I read a quote that says, uh, the, the blood of the martyr is the seed of the church. And it's true, the church is founded upon suffering. The sufferings, you know, if you just look at the church, you'll see that God's people have been a suffering people, yes, in in many ways. But actually, even in in all of that, Christians will tell you that only one suffering really counts, right? In fact, all the suffering we go through is so that we can point you to the one true righteous sufferer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And... uh, Perhaps you've been too ashamed to identify with God's people up till now because you feel like they're, they're, they're suffering people. But perhaps you, when you think of Jesus Christ you, you, and you see his sufferings on the cross and you see him being persecuted, maybe a part of you actually thinks, yeah, I don't care because when I think of Jesus, he makes me feel bad. He, he makes me feel guilty. Uh, he makes me feel far from God. He makes me feel uncomfortable. Maybe you think Jesus Christ just had, is the source of the church's persecution complex. But let me remind you about the words of the thief on the cross who says, listen, we're suffering justly. 
for what we have done. He's not done anything. That's true. When you look at the cross of Jesus Christ, you see one who suffered righteously. He hasn't done anything wrong. So why is he suffering? He's suffering to save you from the suffering that is certainly coming your way as you try and run from God. See that life you're living now where you're consciously or subconsciously, where you're maybe spokenly or unspokenly trying to run away from God? You're feeding all your lusts and your desires. You're living after what you want, just trying your best to run away from God. It is a life that leads to suffering. God's just punishment for sin. And when you see the Savior on the cross, I know he reminds you of that, but you're missing one thing. It's about perspective. You're missing the fact that he's also made a way for you to be saved from that suffering. And it's one thing to look at the suffering that the church has gone through, but honestly, friends, this morning we need to look at the Jesus who suffered for humanity. Have you received his suffering? Uh, His suffering, his, his persecution, if you want, is the only suffering that can free us from the one we deserve because we've sinned against God. Let me ask you this morning to see how much it took for Christ to wash away our sins. Let me ask you this morning to see how much it took for Jesus to save you from suffering and realize that if he went that far, it's because he knew so much. Come to Jesus, trust him, identify with the suffering of the church. The Bible says that Moses chose to suffer with the people of God. You know why? Because he knew that to enjoy Egypt was only for a season. And not long after that, what happened? God destroyed all of Egypt. When Moses was crossing the Red Sea, he looked back and thought, I made the right decision. If you identify with the people of God, it's the only way to be saved from a world that is surely crumbling because it deserves God's punishment. But Jesus Christ suffered so that we don't have to suffer that way. In fact, identifying with his suffering is the one true source of joy. Amen.